And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half the half district of Jerusalem, repaired. Next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Harumaph, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashabaniah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Hiram, and Hashab, the son of Pahath Moab, repaired another section of the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of um, Halohesh, great name, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters? Okay. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and up to the chamber of the corner. This is the word of the Lord. You bet. You bet. Have a seat. Thank you, Jesus, for Nehemiah 3. We are in Nehemiah 3. It is a timely word for us, brothers and sisters, not only for what's going on in the world around us, but indeed what's going on in our own lives, in our own souls. Rebuilding the wall, repairing the ruins. I mean, is, is there hope? Is it possible? Or is it merely a pipe dream that religious people come to celebrate every Sunday to, uh, to distract themselves from what's really going on out there? I think that right now, if you'll agree with me, we don't need to look far to see ruin and disrepair around us, do we? Do we? I'm guessing at least a few of you have watched the news this week. We are now in a, in a time of being focused on challenges, difficulties, a shared time of grief. It seems, at least from my perspective, and you don't have to agree with me, I, I don't want to project it onto you, but perhaps that, that values that we once shared, walls that once seemed secure around us as a people, those can seem very fragile. They can seem shattered. This week I've been beholden, as have you, to much anger, division, cries for justice in the midst of injustice, and then justice for injustice done on behalf of justice, sadness. So often this week, I've just been left with a simple word, help, Lord, help. If you are who you say you are, you know, if we're not just here to, to, to look fancy and clap and sing some songs, if God is real and knows you and loves you and me and has a, a plan and a purpose for us to be those who repair the ruins, then help. But friends, I want, I want us to make it personal as well because I think that's Nehemiah's intent in this long list of names. And you can thank me later because there's 31 verses and we only did 12. I think Nehemiah's intent is for us to make it personal, to realize that, that ruin and disrepair is true of our own lives as well. And God, help us to not come into this place and be those who hide and put on our masks where are your walls in ruins? For, for some of you, that might be more abstract. For some of you right now, it's, it's deeply acute. It's personal. It has to do with a child or a grandchild or a marriage or a situation at, at work where you know right now that, yeah, that's a wall that's broken down. That's a place where I need help. I need, I need to build. I need strength. We all have 
these idols, idols of the, the heart, places where we go to not only hide, but to cope. And if we don't deal with those things, if we don't ask for God's help to repair those walls, then sooner or later what's small builds up and it explodes. It becomes death by a thousand cuts. So we too relate to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3, don't we? Where the report comes to Nehemiah in the royal court of Artaxerxes, and he hears his brothers from Judah proclaim that the walls are in ruins, and the people of God are deeply troubled and ashamed. And I want to just invite us to be honest about that this morning, about that question, where do we have walls that need repairing? But that's not the only question, good news, that Nehemiah 3 asks of us. Nehemiah 3 doesn't invite us into this place to just be beat up or focus in on our brokenness. Instead, there's a question at the end of chapter 2 that chapter 3 answers, and it's this. Children of God, those who are known and loved by Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, will we, will we rise up in the ruins? And that which needs repair, will we rise up? Not to be those who complain or despair, but those who build. And is there hope? Nehemiah 3 answers this question with an emphatic yes. And so even though we get this long list of names, kind of like a genealogy. And John and I were joking. We, we love to preach the genealogies. Because they are rich and thick and awesome and point you to Jesus. This is sort of one of those. And the main point of the whole chapter, 31 verses of names and people and positions, all building the same wall around Jerusalem, is simply this. A word that we need today. When God's people are united around God's purpose, they will experience God's power. Do you think that's something that, that the people in our city need right now? God's people, diverse united around God's glorious purpose, will experience God's power. So how do we see that play out in Nehemiah 3? What's the story here? As I said, 3 can seem rather mundane, but it's actually incredible. Why? Because all these people that are named, and generally we don't even know who they are. Nehemiah 3 is kind of weird. When you go into the commentaries, it's really short. I was a little bit jealous of John last week. Go to Nehemiah 2, there's intrigue and the king and battles and wine tasting and, you know, opposition and all this, you know, a donkey ride at midnight around Jerusalem. You get to Nehemiah 3, it's just this long list of names. It seems mundane, but it's not because Nehemiah 3 is precisely the fulfillment of Nehemiah 1 and 2. They actually do it. God's people show up and they actually build the wall. Now, you need to understand it's a bit out of chronological order here because Nehemiah 3 records, like a good project management diary, those people who actually contribute to the building of the wall. Then when we get to Nehemiah 4, we're going to kind of go back anachronistically and dive into what actually happened during the building project, the ups, the downs, the opposition, and how Nehemiah led God's people through that. But at this point, we know this, God uses all his people, normal people, ordinary people, young and old, male and female, to rebuild what is ruined. That is what God desires to do in your life and in and through your life by his grace for your neighbors and in our city. So there's some lessons for us here, and I want to point out four things. The first is this, that the rebuilding of the wall 
As glorious as it is in chapter 3, is deeply complex. I mean, how do you rebuild a wall like this? How do you even begin a project of this size? Well, the first thing you need to do is identify what the issue is. You need to identify the real issue. And to identify the real issue, you not only have to observe, but you have to listen. And we're told in chapter 2 that at the moment that, that Nehemiah decided... I am going to trust God and believe and go do what he's called me to do. There was opposition against his leadership. You see, Nehemiah was dealing with the same stuff that we deal with, that we are always dealing with on this side of the fall where sin is in the world. And although Christ is reigning and he will come again, that is still not yet. And so in the midst of the now, know this, as you are being a rebuilder, as you are doing what God has called you to do, there will be opposition. There will be people who are frustrated. They won't like your nuance. They won't like that you can hold multiple propositions simultaneously, which are all true. Like, for example, you care about injustice, but you also care about all kinds of injustice. It's complex. Remember the context here. In chapter 1, Nehemiah gets this bad report. What does he do as a leader? God help us, especially some of y'all people and me too. Like, oh, I'm, I'm a leader Good for you. Pin a rose on your nose. Look what he does. He doesn't try to fix it. He doesn't run straight to delegating. He prays. He prays and he waits. In fact, he waits a really long time, longer than I will normally be okay with waiting on the Lord. As John told us last week, chapter one, chapter two, the month of this, the month of that, it's about four months that Nehemiah waits and prays and fasts before he brings his request to Artaxerxes the king. In fear and trembling, he proposes a return to Jerusalem. He is granted that request, and he returns with the king's blessing. He goes out at night to inspect the wall when no one's around, does his donkey ride, and again, immediately is opposed by these three individuals who are not happy that he's there. They mock him, they chide him, but rather than listen to them, he listens to God. He decides to believe God's promise, and so he issues God's people a challenge. Chapter 2, verse 17, after he reminds them that God has made covenant with them and will do it, he asks the people, what will we do? And he states it clearly, come, come with me, follow me as I follow Jesus, and let us build. Let us repair the walls of the city so that God might be glorified among the nations. Their plan is one of repair. And although many words are repeated in chapter 3, the central word of repetition is the word repair. Nehemiah knows that that's not only what they need to hear as they are reading the text, but it's what we need to hear because that's what we most deeply need in our hearts, right? Not more money, not more education, not more pleasure, not more power, not more stuff around us to distract us with a million little dopamine hits. No, we need a Savior who can actually... Repair and rebuild the walls of our heart. This Hebrew word is beautiful, repair. It's one of those kind of pregnant words that uh, goes deeper than we initially might think. It's not simply making a thing what it was. But to repair means to make it strong and firm, immovable. You might have the illustration in your mind of a tree in the wind. It's kind of windy yesterday. Every time we get those weird Santa Fe winds, I for sure think I'm going to lose a tree. That's because I was in Phoenix for a few years where there's no roots. And so you always do lose a tree in the wind. Yesterday, I'm watching the aspens just go crazy. And by the grace of God, the wind calms down and they're all still there. 
And what do you know about that, right? The, the tree only gets strong because of the wind. The tree needs the wind to be strengthened, to be made firm. What else do we know? Have you ever done any housing projects? God help us during quarantine, right? I'm going to remodel my bathroom because I watched YouTube. God bless you. Okay. Demo is easy. Doing the demo is easy. Right? I'm going to remodel my bathroom. Well, it doesn't take that long to rip out tile. The hard work, the patient work, the waiting work, the meticulous work, the measuring twice, cutting once work is the building. That's the challenge. To tear down is easy. And I'll be honest, this week, I probably spent way too much time on social media. And not only did I almost lose faith in humanity and my salvation and most of my friends, but I came off of each little stint, you know, pretty darn depressed. It's just so much easier to tear each other down, to disagree and then in our disagreements make each other other and engage in tribalism and, and push each other away. And you know, maybe it's not social media for you. Maybe it's something else. Maybe it's family dinner. Or maybe it's your, you know, your frustrating niece that's you know, gone the way of craziness in your mind. Whatever. Friends, it's so much easier to tear down than it is to build. And the building is complicated. It is a complex proposition. It is not easy and it requires us holding certain things in tension so that we can actually move this thing forward according to what? According to the way that God would have us be, which is unified. So it's complex, but number two, they unite. All God's people unite. The names on this list are meant to give us a sense of comprehension. Everybody's involved across all different spectrums of the people of Israel. All God's people. And that's why the text, as I said, goes on for 31 verses. Now, we may take this for granted, but in, in their society, this would have been quite a wild thing. You wouldn't have expected it. Indeed, you would have expected the builders or the craftsmen or the guild to be the ones that handled the building project. But instead, we see a call of God's covenant to all his people that all his covenant people would be engaged in the work. Here's the point. Everybody showed up. Everybody showed up. And what I love is that people didn't just show up, but they showed up and took responsibility for what was theirs. I love this quote from a commentary this week. Most of the time, friends, church people, most of the time God achieves his ends through cooperation to the benefit of the individual and the corporate entity, the person and the society. So in Nehemiah, we see and notice this individual responsibility, but also societal responsibility. Because the text says a few times that people went out and built what was near their house. I mean, you can imagine that this would have been difficult, right? You look at your neighbor and you're like, uh, that guy's deal is in disrepair. My yard is nice. I take care of my stuff. I don't have, you know, 15 cars in my front yard and a mariachi band. Like, uh, you know, I don't think I, maybe he can get some of the job done and then I'll help because I've been doing my thing. Or maybe imagine those people that had been there, you know, for 75 years. They came with Zerubbabel and they're thinking, bro, this is our land, our territory. Who are all these new folks that have only been back in Jerusalem from the exile for 5, 10, 15 years and now you're trying to be a part of building the wall? No, all God's people were all in. And the text says that they built near their homes. They, they took responsibility for what was theirs and then helped and served their neighbors. So what's, what's near your home? 
And think of it metaphorically. Your friends, your neighbors, your circle of influence, the people who are around you in your life, in your friendship circles, in your marriage, in your business. You know, if if we don't even know what the ruins are in their lives, God, help us. Have we loved our neighbor if we don't even know where the repair is needed? So they all pitched in, all people and all positions, priests, rulers, goldsmiths, merchants. And then this, this shocking thing in verse 12 that I tried to read shockingly during the text. Verse 12, I love this. Shalom, the son of Halanhesh, ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. That's a surprise. That's a surprise. Because not only would you expect it to be the men, and if the men, the merchants, and the guilds, but you certainly wouldn't expect to be a ruler. How undignified for a ruler to serve. He's got to pull up his royal robes and get his hands dirty. But now a ruler and his daughters? You see, this is, this is a holy and holistic work of all of God's people. Just like the church. No one family, no one person, no one giver. All of us are needed to pitch in. So beyond the word repair, the other phrase that you see repeated 18 times in the text, which let me just tell you is a lot for one chapter, is this kind of two-part thing of next to him or after him. Next to him or after him. You see it 18 times. It's as if Nehemiah wants to remind us that the people must be united. They must be united to accomplish what God has given them to do. So they respond to the challenge by faith. They believe. And even in their great diversity, they work together effectively because they're driven by a greater purpose. Everyone is needed. In this church, in this city where we are repairing the ruins, everyone is needed. Even you. Even little you. John mentioned in the last service, and I got permission to steal this from him, one of the beautiful things about all these names is the reminder that God knows your name. You know, I, I see some of you today, young, not old, but older, all different ages and stages, socioeconomic backgrounds, ethnicities, we're gathered here together in Christ. Not only does God know your name, but no matter how big or how small you are, no matter who you are, even if you're, you know, if you're one of the kiddos who's here with us this morning, not only does God know your name, but there's a place for you in the work of his kingdom. He knows you, and we need each other. So yes, it's complex, but they are united, and they are united for God's purpose. God's purpose in the rebuilding of the walls is not only to protect his people from wolves and to protect them inside so that they can build the kingdom and plant and grow and do the work of Genesis 1 and 2, restore heaven on earth through the kingdom of God, But God's purpose is to glorify his name among the nations. And I think this is a really good question, guys. Because people come into this church and they've got ruins. They've got broken down walls. They've got issues and baggage and brokenness. We all do because this is a hospital, not a country club. How will we treat people that come in like that? How will we treat people that come in with their brokenness? Will this place be a true picture of God's glory among the nations? In the way that we treat and love each other, will we tell a true story about who God is? Man, if you believe in our theology, 
Okay, our study of who God is in the scriptures. If you truly believe, like Paul says, I was dead in my sins and trespasses. While I was yet dead and a sinner, Christ loved me, died for me, raised me. If we believe that, we should be the most humble people there are. Let us never forget how we were saved. Don't ever forget how Jesus saved you. It wasn't like you rolled up on Jesus and said, hey, I got a little bit of a sin headache. Do you have an leave? Let's do this thing together. You and me will work hard together. No, you were dead, man. You were a thousand feet at the bottom of the ocean. You were rotting and broken and completely unable to save yourself or pull yourself up by your bootstraps or, or well up any of your own saving righteousness. And he raised you from the dead. He repaired and restored and raised you from the dead. And if that is true about us, that must be the truth that we tell as we interact with each other and with the neighbors that God has placed us around in this city. God's purpose is to glorify his name among the nations. And so we see that the rebuilding of the wall was complete. It was total. In the text, we go from the sheep gate, which is up in the northeastern part of Jerusalem. Jerusalem was kind of like Santa Fe, sort of like a triangle at that time that went down the Kidron Valley to the old city of David. The Temple Mount was on the top. Sheep gate was up here. See, I need a whiteboard and a laser pointer. That's what I need up in here. No, we don't ever need that. And they went all the way around from the Sheep Gate, and the text takes you all the way back to the Sheep Gate. Their work was sometimes repairing, sometimes it was building something new. But again, the point is to remind us that when God fulfills his promises, he doesn't go halfway. Is that good news for us this morning, friends? Whether it's your life or your job or loss, or I don't know what it is, but is that good news that when God repairs, he doesn't go halfway? He doesn't go halfway and say, oh, now it's your turn. He goes all the way with you, for you, sustaining you. He finishes what he starts. And that's why we see in the text, this is a very humble work. I want you to notice a few things that aren't here. What's not in Nehemiah 3? This is important. Because we all come to church, we all do it with our ways and our needs and our preferences. And actually, that's my pew, if you could move down a little bit. And ooh, I like that song. And ooh, that's my favorite preacher and whatever. What do you not see here? First of all, you don't see any complaining. You don't see any complaining. Why? Because the purpose that God had given them transcended the complaint. It's, it's bigger than me. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than the little foibles and frustrations that get under our skin. God, help us to repent of that stuff. Man, first world problems. There's no territorial stuff going on, even though you had various people coming back from the exile, 12 tribes in Israel. Even more astonishing, you don't get the normal ancient Near Eastern power structures that you're accustomed to. Lord and servant, Pharaoh and slave, suzerain and vassal. No, power has been turned up on its head for the purpose of God so that rich and poor Priest and, and you know, non-priest, normal person, goldsmith and craftsperson, even the perfumers and the daughters are working together humbly, humbly, except for verse 5, which I hope you noticed. The Tekoites. It's said of the Tekoites in verse 5 that they, uh, um, next to the Tekoites, they repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Now, this is interesting. This is the only real issue that Nehemiah includes in this list in chapter 3, and it's meant to draw our attention to something. 
in particular, that they were prideful. And in their pride, as pride always does, they robbed themselves and others of the joy that they were supposed to share in when the wall was finally completed and consecrated and celebrated in chapter 12. So in no way is Nehemiah pointing these folks out to to mock them. Instead, he's begging of us to be humble. Don't lose the joy of being about the purpose of God, united with God's people. Don't be prideful. Don't sit there and go, well, I don't do that work. No, in this church, I don't care if you're a pastor, elder, or it's your first time here. Everybody here picks up trash. Everybody here cleans up toilets. Everybody here participates because this is a home, not a hotel. Lastly, it was a holy work. I mean, how can it be a total work and a humble work according to the purpose of God unless it's a holy work for God's glory in his city? Guys, this is why we come to this place, this place of new creation, this new Zion where Jesus is present through his word and his sacraments, the church, and the Holy Spirit meets us here. This is why we leave the world. It's why this room is so beautiful because everything about this place is meant to lift up our heads to heaven. Not to forget that there are problems in the world, but for moments to put them aside so that we might be filled with God's promises, strengthened, and then sent back out to the work God has given us. The work of Nehemiah and these people is a holy work. They know God is sovereign. They know he is the king of the universe. They know he is transcendent. But his kingship and power and sovereignty is only brought to bear in the lives of real people when his imminence is expressed. His nearness is expressed. How? His imminence is expressed and manifested in the real way that real people love and serve one another and do what God has called them to do. So it's worship. That's why we're here. To to focus on the glory of God. To allow Jesus to remind us that, that we are pilgrims along the way, but heaven is coming. And until it does, we are not to be Christian escape artists who run away from the world. We're also not to just be in the world mindlessly. We're to be in the world and not of it, bringing repair and heaven wherever we go. And if being here and experiencing the glory of God in worship, this holy work of being the church, if it doesn't change us, if it doesn't change me to love God more and love others more, to cross lines, to break down barriers, to listen, to try to understand. If it doesn't do that, what a joke. What a joke. What a scam. I mean, it's a great scam because I got a good job. Paying the bills for Pastor Greg. If it's not true, you guys, I mean, as, as Paul says, if Jesus is not risen from the dead... And if the power of his resurrection isn't going forth to rise up the dead things all around us, to repair the walls, we of all people are most to be pitied. So in the complexity of the work, they unite, they unite for God's good purposes, totally humbly, in a holy way. And what happens? They receive God's power. In Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 20. Nehemiah says to the people as he prays, he says, the God of heaven will make us succeed. That's the power of God, knowing by faith that he has done it, will do it, and will bring it to completion in your life. Think of your fears. Think of your sadness. Think of your insecurities. Think of all the places you long for both protection and freedom. 
He has done it for us in Jesus Christ, his son. Oh, to know that, to know that as we leave this place to repair the ruins, that the God of heaven will promise, kept, make us succeed. I mean, isn't that the word that our world needs to hear today? Isn't that what our city needs? Not only God's people united for a common purpose, but under this, the power of God, which frees us to be loved and to love. What can heal our land? Again, do you really think it's more education? We've tried all these things in history. To quote my, one of my favorite Christian apologists, Friedrich Nietzsche, the eternal recurrence of all these things we've tried. More education, more money. Well, if we just had this, then humans could fix themselves. No, they can't. They're broken of soul. They are marred most deeply in their hearts by the reality, not only that we do sin, but that we are sinners and need a Savior who can save us by grace, who can heal our land, unify our churches, and help us love across lines. Who but Jesus who is the savior of sinners from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so I love this quote from the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. In his famous letter to Birmingham jail, he writes, Friends, let us be humble. The judgment of God is truly upon the church as never before. And if today's church, God's children, does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will surely lose its authenticity. It will forfeit the loyalty of millions. And no doubt it will eventually be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Don't you want to experience the power of God? Not only in your own life, for the chains to be broken and the walls to be rebuilt, but to actually know that when you leave this place, knowing and being loved by Jesus means something. Because the power of God goes with you by the Holy Spirit to not be one who tears down, but one who repairs. Our only hope for that is Christ. The wall in Nehemiah was temporary. Most archaeologists and scholars agree that it was lesser than, diminutive, small. It wasn't a wall that was built to last, even though it was built with great joy. The wall itself was a shadow, because here's the point, folks. If we want to be the people united in the purpose of God, experiencing the power of God, it only happens because of the promise of God. And the promise of God is that no matter where the ruins exist in your life, he has sent his son, who is the true builder, who is the true repairer of souls, the savior of sinners, the one and the only one who can unify people who are so diverse. He repairs our ruins by forgiving us of our sins. Man, not only does he know your name, he knows your past. And God doesn't wince at your sin like, oh, cool, no big deal, bro, let's hang out. He doesn't wince at it. He dies for it. He says, that matters. I'm holy and just. Justice must be served. But guess what? Just judgment doesn't fall upon you. It, fall up, it falls upon my son, Jesus Christ, whose own walls were destroyed and brought to rubble for our sake. He protects us with the perfect wall of his righteousness. 
He wraps us in the robe of his righteousness. He takes our unrighteousness and exchanges it for all of his perfections. Do you realize that when God reads your name off the list and looks down upon you, he doesn't see the baggage and the brokenness. He sees the perfection and the holiness and the glory of his son. And you were truly loved. And when Jesus builds a wall and brings a kingdom, it's one that lasts forever. Which means we can go out into the turmoil of the nations raging with great confidence that this is the word that people need to hear. As we listen, as we are humble, as we don't hide our own brokenness, as God continues to repair our walls, this is the word that people need. That, that when God's people are united, According to the purpose that God has given, they will experience his power and he will fulfill his promise. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so thankful for Nehemiah 3. We know that only out of that place, the place of your power and promise, can we experience something so beautiful. And Lord, we long for it. We don't want, I mean, how do I say this, Lord? You know my heart. I don't want to over-spiritualize everything. It's okay to just have a normal day and a normal life without 58 magical Holy Spirit things happening. It's okay to have all kinds of different jobs and vocations. and You know that we are dust and you love us. But Lord, we do. We want to experience your power. We want to see what you can do in and through your people when we are together in your purpose because you have promised it in Jesus. You've told us that we'll do greater things than these. And that nothing will stand against your plan. I'm so thankful, Lord, that this morning we have brothers and sisters in China and India, all across Africa and the global south, central South America, even some people in Canada. Lord, we have brothers and sisters all across the world hearing and receiving these same good gospel truths. That Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. So we are free and we are empowered. Lord, help us be like the daughters and the merchants and the perfumers to get our hands dirty with the work of rebuilding. Let us not fall into the despair of social media talking heads or, or into the anger and pride of the Tekoites saying, well, those, I'm not going to be about those people. Guard us from despair and pride. Instead, Lord, help us to be those who repair the walls. And as you bring us to this table, the Lord's Supper, this feast, would you remind us as we eat this bread and drink this juice, Lord, would you remind us that you have done it, that it is finished. Would you unite us here, show us your purpose here, and help us, God, to experience your power. Amen.